Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, the post-conference championship game pre-Super Bowl 55 podcast, on which today we will have the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley, as he talks about his new job and the responsibilities that come along with it. And then we'll be joined by ESPN NFL reporter Kimberly Martin, the co-host of the new podcast, First Take, Her Take, along with Charlie Arnold and Cheney Agumake. Kimberly will be with us to break down her experiences covering the NFL this season, previewing Super Bowl 55, and we'll hear her thoughts on a variety of topics. But I think the biggest topic of the week is the uncertainty right now at the quarterback position that looms over the NFL this upcoming offseason. And on Monday, I posted on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, a box that listed some of the quarterbacks whose futures are in question for this offseason. And what I would say is we've never gone into an offseason where there will be more quarterback movement with more big name quarterbacks than in any other season in NFL history. It is remarkable to think how many quarterbacks could change teams. And I think the simplest way to do it before we list some of those names is to think how many teams have their opening day starting quarterback locked in for the 2021 season. When you think about it, how many teams can you say, you know, know the starting quarterback for next year? Think about that for a moment. We've got Josh Allen in Buffalo, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, Joe Burrow, if he's healthy enough to get back from his knee injury in Cincinnati, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, Justin Herbert in Los Angeles, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, Tom Brady in Tampa, Kyler Murray in Arizona, Russell Wilson in Seattle. That would be 10. That would be 10 right there. Give me another quarterback beyond those 10 that you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt will be his team's starting quarterback on opening day. And maybe you could say Daniel Jones in New York, and maybe you could say Dak Prescott in Dallas, though Dak Prescott is a free agent. But there are so many quarterbacks with question marks about their future. Just think about the list. Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, who we don't know what he was saying after that game, but he was trying to deliver some sort of message to the Green Bay Packers. Matthew Stafford, going to be traded. Dak Prescott, we mentioned free agent. Sam Darnold, prime candidate to be traded. Carson Wentz, candidate to be traded if the Eagles can get enough in return. Jared Goff, saw some things go on with him at the end of the year. Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe the Niners stick with him, maybe they don't. Cam Newton, free agent. Teddy Bridgewater, think Carolina's looking. Mitchell Trubisky, free agent. Jameis Winston, free agent. Ryan Fitzpatrick, free agent. Alex Smith might retire. Ben Roethlisberger's talked about retiring. Think he'll be back. Don't know that he'll be back. We've got some other free agent quarterbacks. Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett. When has there ever been an offseason like this one where there are more quarterback questions? And that doesn't factor in Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson from BYU going somewhere, Justin Fields from Ohio State going somewhere, Trey Lance from North Dakota State going somewhere. They're going to get some jobs with a real chance to start on opening day. And so the quarterback movement this year is going to be off the 
charts. And I will say this, in my job as a reporter, the idea of all these quarterbacks in the position that they are, I already feel the weight on my shoulders now and know that the offseason is going to be crazier than the regular season. All right, before we get into today's episode, first I want to tell everyone to make sure you are staying up to date with all things UFC by downloading and subscribing to DC and Helwani, hosted by Daniel Cormier and Ariel Helwani. Find DC and Helwani as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now the head coach, the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley. How are you, Brandon? I'm doing well. How about you? Thank you for taking the time. What a treat to get you on the phone. I don't think we've ever spoken before. Is that correct? I, I think that's correct, Adam. I, I feel like I have, though, because I've been following, following you all these years. But I think this is the first time in person. And I've been following you as well. I remember being at the Super Bowl with Sean McVay last January. And he was raving to me about this new upstart young defensive coordinator that he just hired. And what a difference he was going to make for the Rams defense. And sure enough, a year later, you wind up as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. And I'm just curious what it's like for you, Brandon, to be hired as a head coach at the age of 38. How does somebody go from Perry, Ohio, to the head coach of the Chargers at the age of 38? Yeah, Adam, uh, I think dreams come true. I think they come true when, when you work at it and you do things the right way. I think when I was a little kid growing up, you know, I started drinking coffee in the first grade and reading the sports page because I wanted to be like my dad. You know, I had great parents who are, who are my heroes. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a coach. And, uh, you know, I grew up trying to be like them, you know, and I, I loved competition. I loved sports. And, you know, I felt like in my future that coaching was something that was just meant for me. And I've really been just working at my game ever since then. You know, for as long as I can remember, if you talk to anybody you know, my family or friends, you know, they would tell you that, you know, I've been on a mission to get here, you know, and uh, for it to be able to come true, it's such an indescribable feeling, but one that uh, I'm so thankful for. How does what you dreamed of compare to the reality of it so far? I know it's only about a week or so, but how does that compare? You know what, Adam, I think that's what I'm really excited about. I, I told my wife that almost every night this week is just, it just, it feels so good. It feels natural. It feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's so much to do every day as a head coach, uh, but there was so much to do every day as a defensive coordinator, you know, and I feel like, um, you know, just, I love this league. I love this, you know, opportunity and, you know, I'm just so excited to get started and, um, you know, see where this can go here in L.A. And then I read the transcript from your press conference with the Chargers. And as I was reading it, I was more and more riveted, to be honest with you. And I texted your PR guy, Josh, and I said, wow, that's impressive. And the one thing that stood out to me, I love that part that you worked as an Aggie clerk for a newspaper. Is that what you did for a newspaper? You, you referenced reading the sports pages. So you you and I had some sort of love of newspapers and sports growing up. What did you do for a newspaper? Well, I was a sports clerk at my high school tight end, Dan Murphy. He's actually the PR guy for the Cleveland Browns. Now Mur Murph has worked for them for a long time. His dad, Jim was the sports editor at the, the news Herald. It's a suburban newspaper outside oh, yeah. of Cleveland. And so, um, you know, I got a job there as a sports clerk and I was taking in scores and, you know, uh, putting in stuff on the computer and, 
you know, helping the guys late at night, you know, with the agate and stuff like that. And, you know, just, you know, anything I could do to be around the game, you know, that's, that's where my heart was. And, uh, you know, being a sports writer, you know, somebody, you know, a sports commentator, that was also something that I felt like if sports didn't work out that, that I could do, but, um, you know, it was an awesome job. I was around some awesome writers and, you know, just, I, that's what I grew up doing, Adam, you know, my mom, she was an English teacher, reading teacher. So, you know, we, we had ESPN, the magazine, sporting news, sports illustrated. Wow. We had the, the, the Cleveland plain dealer, the news Herald, you know, we were reading a bunch of stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, uh, that's kind of where my love of sports all began is reading about it so much. Do you know that I would study every writer in college? I would write to writers seeking advice. I, I had computer files of favorite phrases from articles. I would, I mean, that that's how basically I started out. I'm curious to know how you went from that, loving writing, working at a newspaper, loving sports, learning from your mom and your dad to going into coaching. How does that happen? Yeah, I, just, I you know, my dad was a coach and I think I, you know, he's a coach that I just have learned so much from. He's one of the best leaders that I've ever been around. He was just a brilliant communicator. Hmm. He always had the pulse of his team. He knew the parents, he knew the players, uh, you know, just had a really strong sense of, of how to lead and how to coach. And I just saw that up, up, up close and personal, the impact that he had on people. And I just felt like that was something that I could do, you know, someday. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, when you grow up that way, watching your mom and dad affect other people in such a big way, uh, it, it can't help but shape you. And um, hopefully I'm, I'm making both of, the, both of them proud. Uh, I'm sure that's the case. But, Brian, when you're working for the newspaper, is there any part of you that wants to grow up and become a writer or a reporter? Or do you want to go into coaching? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, you know, life's all about trying to create as many options for yourself as possible. So I felt like, you know, depending on where sports goes and how far you take it, you know, you always have something to fall back on. And I felt like, you know, just from an education standpoint, that's where my heart kind of is, is, you know, writing, you know, writing, you know, politics, economics, you know, just current events, stuff like that. And so that's kind of where I was, you know, headed, I think, if I didn't, you know, get involved with with the game, you know, and so um, I felt like it really made me more well-rounded, more, more balanced. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely love that experience and, and being able to talk about it the last week, uh, it just brings a smile to my face because um, it certainly was a, was a cool thing for a young kid. Well, cause all the reporters love to hear about it. And I don't know if other people are bored by it, but I find it to be fascinating because it's the path that I follow, but along that path, as you're going along, when do you know, or when do you get the sense that I can do this coaching thing? And I'm going to do this coaching thing and I'm going to make it. When did you know that? I think that I had a really strong sense I could do it after, um, you know, when I went to junior college, Adam, you know, I was a young defensive coordinator, 26 in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And, you know, you're coaching all freshmen and sophomores, guys with a lot of difficult backgrounds. And, you know, I was able to be there with my wife. We were a young couple figuring it out. And I think leading that group of guys, you know, we had a bunch of NFL guys on that team, you know, Cordero Patterson, Marcus Golden, Devondre Campbell. Uh, we were really good. Wow. And I think just being able to see the impact that I was able to have on, on those guys and, and the success that we had, I think, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, I can, I can really do this at a high level, you know? And um, I think, you know, sometimes yeah, it doesn't make sense to the outside world, Adam, like this path that I've been on, they're like, well, you've only been in the NFL for four years, but, 
that's just not, not the way that I've approached it. Like I felt like I was coaching in the NFL in junior college. I felt like I was coaching in the NFL at John Carroll and all these places that no one's probably ever heard of. And I was working at my game and I was having a chance to really grow and improve and figure it out. And, you know, but after that experience in, in junior college, I felt like I really had a strong sense. I could take it a long way. While you were there going through those places, did you aspire to be in the NFL or you just aspired to be a great coach and let it go where it went? I was, I was trying like crazy every year to, to get an opportunity in the NFL. And I, I knew a lot of people, I knew, I knew enough people in the NFL that I had access to it, yeah. you know, and every year, you know, you, you, you're thinking, Oh, this might be the year. And it didn't, you know, it may, it didn't happen, you know, but then you just, you keep going and you keep learning, you, you'd go study and, uh, you know, just kind of stay alive and then do your job well where, where you're at. And that's what I tried to do. And uh, I think it, it paid off, you know, because, all that investment in my game and, you know, all the, the success that we were, ha were able to have where I was, you know, it kind of led to, you know, earning an opportunity in the NFL. I get a lot of questions about how you advance in the field of reporting or TV or newspapers or media or whatever it may be. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who want to go coach in the NFL. And there are a lot of people who coached at the places that you did like Hutchinson and Tennessee and John Carroll and James Madison before you made your way to the NFL. What advice would you give to those people? And what I like to tell people also, you're going to give this advice about coaching, going to the NFL, but I'll bet you that it's applicable to somebody in finance or science or whatever industry it is, right? Like it, the, it's usually the same, but what would you tell people who want to go coach in the NFL about how they should approach that, Brandon? Yeah, you know, I think... Um... I think this, Adam, you know, I think uh, one thing I've tried to do is study a lot, you know, a lot of the things that you've talked about, like a uh, great book I read, uh, When Breath Becomes Air. I don't know if you've read that, yeah. um, yep. but it's, a, it, it, you know, it's about a neurosurgeon, right? And I love this book for a lot of reasons, being a former cancer patient, whatever, but like a neurosurgeon, like the type of skill set that you have to have to be a neurosurgeon, like the type of command, not over just like you know, the, the scientific part of it that, you know, but just, you know, the leading uh, a group of people and, and, and the relationships with patients and just, you have to have this really diverse skill set. And I think that's like what the NFL is. You have to have like a really, really complete game to be good at it. So um, I've just tried to learn as much as I can about becoming a coach, um, not only the X's and the O's of the game, offense, defense, and kicking game, the situational part of the game, data, analytics, sports performance, you know, psychology, you know, behavioral economics, decision-making, all that stuff that plays such a big component. And, you know, there's just so much that is required of you to be good in this league, no matter what your role is, whether you're a coach player, you know, someone like yourself in the media, so competitive. And that's what I've tried to do my whole life is really, you know, try to improve my game where, you know, I could, you know, hopefully get to the point where I'm at now. And, and now, there's still so much work to do. You know, like I know that I'm just at the beginning. There's so much more that I need to improve, you know, in order for me to be as good as I can be for our team, you know? So um, I would say that it's just that investment in your game, your craft and, and really pouring into it uh, because that's the only way you're going to take it as far as you can take it is, is to really, you know, sharpen your skills. See that I knew it was going to be applicable because when I went to Denver, in 1990, as a cub reporter for the Rocky Mountain News, on the weekends after a couple of years, I volunteered to work for the TV station, not having any idea or aspirations to go into television. And I would do radio shows just for the fun of it. And little did I know that 
all those TV spots and all those radio appearances were contributing to honing the skills that I would use later in life, even though I wasn't thinking of doing it at that point in time. And then all of a sudden it all came together because I've been doing a lot of different things in the media and it all kind of happened. I was preparing myself without even knowing it. And what you're saying is you intentionally try to acquire as many skills as you can, do as many things as you can, and give yourself the opportunity for more opportunities, right? I mean, that's basically it. That's that's it. You know, you got to be willing to, you got to be willing to fail some and, you know, be disappointed some. And, you know, there's, there's so much that happens along the way that doesn't go your way. But I think that that's part of it too, is that, you know, you got to have the will, you know, that competitive and, you know, endurance, the stamina to be able to keep going, you know, and, and knowing that even if you have a disappointment, a setback, that you're still one step closer to where you ultimately want to go. And uh, that's certainly how I've approached things. Now, you brought up your cancer diagnosis. And for those who don't know, you were diagnosed at the age of 24 with Hodgkin's lymphoma. You've been cancer-free now for over a decade. What was it like at the age of 24 to find out that you had cancer? Well, I, I can tell you that it, it probably was less of a shock just because I'd seen both of my parents go through it. Mm. Uh, so I was still a young man, um, and I felt like it was a great chance for me to be able to compete and, you know, for me to, you know, for, for the cancer to bring out the best in me, you know, and I knew that I knew that I could do it. I wasn't, you know, afraid. I wasn't scared. I, you know, I felt like, you know, I had what it took, you know, and maybe I was naive a little bit. Um, maybe that was bold, but that's just, that was my thought process is that I'm not going down like this, you know, and I had great, great support. I had awesome doctors at university hospital in Cleveland, uh, awesome nurses, you know, Deb Wu, like this amazing uh, nurse I had, she, she took care of me and my mom, my, you know, my dad and my brothers and all my friends, you know, I just felt like I had the, the right support system to get through it. And, you know, and I did, you know, I was able to get to the other side of it. And, you know, uh, it's one of those experiences that it's always going to be with you. It's right next to me every single day. Uh, but I'm so thankful for it because I think that it, it drove me, um, you know, to the point where I am now. What did you learn from that, Brandon? That you gotta, you gotta have a lot of faith in yourself, a lot of confidence, you know, belief is, is most of what a cancer journey is about. You know, people talk about, you know, faith, hope, and love, you know, that was certainly, you know, at the, at the heart of like the breast cancer movement with my mom is just faith, hope, and love. And I think that you got to have that. Uh, you got to have faith in yourself. You got to have hope. Um, and you got to have a lot of love, you know, and I think, um, you know, that's what, that's what kind of, you know, I think that experience taught me is that, you know, you got to surround yourself with special people, um, that can help you become the best version of yourself. And I've tried to do that intentionally in my life. And I've also tried to, you know, be able to lead by example, because, you know, when you're going through a cancer journey, you're actually affecting more people than you think, because there's a lot of people looking at you. And so, um, you know, I, I look back on that experience. And, and now the, you know, being on the other side of it, you know, the platform that you can have for other people. Um, it's really amazing. And, and it's one that I take really seriously. Do you still have, will that, will that platform now continue to exist and be louder than ever before with the chance to reach even more people than you did previously? Yeah, I hope so. You know, that's something my wife and I, my family were excited about is that now that you have access to more things, more people, hopefully, um, you know, you can connect in an even bigger way. Yeah. And so uh, that's definitely a, a responsibility, a, a responsibility, like I said, that I take so seriously and um, you know, I'm excited to kind of use this opportunity um, to be able to share my story and hopefully help 
a lot more people. When you're on the sidelines for the first game in 2021, your first game as an NFL head coach, will your parents be there? Will Nurse Deb Wu be there? Will you bring out some of these people who helped you get to this point today, Brandon? Well, if they're not there at the game, uh, they'll, they'll definitely be there in spirit. You know, I think that that's the, that's the main thing is that, you know, I'm an example of, you know, I represent all the people that helped me get there. You know, I think that that's what's so special about it is that all the people that have helped me get here will be sharing in that moment. And I hope that it's one that they can all be really proud of. And what are your thoughts on taking over a team that has a quarterback that you have a chance to coach with now for the next 15 years? How much of an attraction was that? You know, certainly at the top of the list, Adam, you know, I think certainly at the top of the list, I think anytime you can start a journey with a young player, that's always something really special. The fact that Justin's at the beginning I think is a unique opportunity. It's not often that you get the chance with a special quarterback at the beginning of his journey. And that's what I'm looking forward to is, you know, learning about him. And he's got such a great head on his shoulders besides all the obvious physical gifts that everyone's aware of. He just comes from a really good family, has a really good head on his shoulders. You know, Adam, I've talked to a lot of the players this week, you know, I've reached out to almost all of them. I'm still trying, but you should see the way that you should hear the way they talk about him and the respect that, that he's earned in one year. Um, it's amazing. I'm talking with veteran players, guys that have played a decade in the NFL. Um, and it's not because of how good he is. It's because of how good of a person he is. And that is what's really special. And I'm really excited to team up with the guy. Brandon, I've got a lot of relationships with people who are in your building who no longer are. And the one unanimous thread that ran through their comments was their not high praise, incredible off-the-charts praise for Justin Herbert, your quarterback. I would venture to tell you, as good as Joe Burrow was in his rookie year, and as much as some of those other players stood out, if they were redoing the draft, the 2020 draft right now, that Justin Herbert would be the first overall pick. That's how I think he showed. That's the comments and feedback that I got. And that same praise that you've gotten from all the players about him, veterans, I've heard that. And you know what? I've seen it. I've gotten it from two great sources, my left eye and my right eye. They, they've watched that guy. That, that guy th- those sources are very reliable, okay? That guy is a stud. He is a stud. Yeah. I like the way you said that. I think, you know, the, the, the left and right eye, I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that from you, okay, for sure. I'm going to copyright it, though. I'll copyright it. Um, but I think the, you know, the players – they're the ones that matter, you know, when, when, you know, the thing about NFL players is they keep it real now. So, you know, um, just the, the, the unanimous, I think, um, feeling towards him is just, uh, is really, really special. And, you know, like I said, we're at the beginning and there's so much, there's just so far that he can take this. And, and that's what we are so looking forward to. You've got a superstar on offense and you've got a superstar on defense in Derwin James. If you can figure out a way, to just keep him healthy because I think he's got that kind of ability too, where he would be the best player on your team if you could just keep him healthy as well, Brandon. Believe me. Yeah, he's a rare guy. I I met him at the press conference. You know, his best one of his best friends is Jalen Ramsey. So I kind of had a head start with DJ. But you know, when you meet him in person, it's it's very hard to stand out in the NFL. I tell people this all the time, like my friends and my family. I'm like, it's so hard to like truly stand out on an NFL field because everyone's so so amazing. But uh, Derwin James is one of those people that stands out for sure. Hey, Brandon, I want to thank you very much for the time. It, I'm, I'm glad that we finally had the chance to talk 
I hope we'll have the chance to do it again. I wish you a lot of success with the new job in Los Angeles. I'm sure you'll be very successful there. And little did you know, I read your book, big fan of it. Wow. Amazing story. And uh, again, just um, the man I never, I just, I love the title. It was so well done and you know congratulations you read the book i'm so listen honestly that means so much whenever i hear that i don't know why but it just stops me and it's flattering to me that people even knew that it existed um i'm grateful i thank you for taking the time to read it and i appreciate you sharing those words thank you brandon absolutely adam so good to meet you and there is the new head coach of the los angeles chargers brandon staley won't be a surprise to see him succeed in that spot especially now that he's got a quarterback that he can lock in with for the next 15 or so years. Justin Herbert has a chance to be a total star in this league and to be able to compete with Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West. All right, before we get to ESPN NFL reporter Kimberly Martin, first I want to share a little story about my personal life with the two new puppies that my family and I got last Friday in Carlisle, Pennsylvania from the breeders Ivy Lane Labradoodles. We drove to Carlisle from New York. It was about a four-hour drive. Honestly, it might have been the first time that my family has left the state of New York in a full year during the pandemic. So it was like a little road trip, which in this case was welcome. And we got these two puppies. We already have three Labradoodles at home. My wife wanted two more. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted two more, so we compromised. We got two more. That's how it works, right? People who are married understand that. And so we got these two Labradoodles, brought them home, and we couldn't figure out what to name them. And when we got them from the breeder, they were born on November 28th. So the breeder named them for Thanksgiving, like gave them names that you would think of at Thanksgiving. And a couple of the names of the dogs that we took, Gravy was one, and Maisie was another. Now, my daughter and I wanted Maisie, wife objected to Maisie. And so we changed Maisie to Apple which Apple was one of the names of Maisie's sisters in that litter. And we took home Maisie, who became Apple. And then we took home Gravy, who we named Bo. Even posted about it on Instagram. Welcome Bo and Apple to the family. But we couldn't get past the Bo name. Like we, as much as we liked it, we kept thinking this is Gravy, Gravy, Gravy. And so we considered the name Brady and Brady sounded like Gravy. So we changed Bo to sound like gravy. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyway, long story short, two new additions. We've heard some of my other dogs doing the live shots at ESPN, barking on camera, doing SportsCenter or Get Up. I've dragged Ella onto Get Up in the morning a couple of times. It's a little early for her, but she likes to show her face there every now and then. And now we have two new additions that can bark up a storm during my SportsCenter hits, during my Get Up hits. And their names, through much change, through much deliberation, or Brady and Apple. And if you want to hear more about the dogs, you can actually follow them now on Instagram at an account that my daughter set up under Schefter Newshounds, all one word, Schefter Newshounds on Instagram, on the gram. Go follow all the pups there and their latest exploits. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful 
for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, enough talk about dogs. Let's go on to our next guest. Joining us now, a rookie reporter at ESPN, out in the field, the co-host of the First Take, Her Take podcast, along with Charlie Arnold and Shanae Agumake, Kimberly Martin, our friend, our colleague, our co-worker. Welcome to the Adam Schefter podcast, Kimberly. Adam, this is a big deal. I appreciate you uh, allowing me some space in your podcast. This is fun. I've known you for a long time, but to finally be ESPN colleagues is a thrill, and to do your podcast is even better. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. You're fresh off your trip to Green Bay <laughs> to watch the Packers and the Buccaneers. You're fresh off your first season at ESPN. I just want to get a broad picture, a broad sense of what you expected in your first year and how reality compared to what you expected? I expected to be overwhelmed because this is my first TV network job. And imagine, picture it, March 9th, 2020, sitting at rookie camp in Bristol, Connecticut, learning about the Walt Disney Company, shake, you know, fist bumping with people, saying, oh, can't wait to get you in studio next month. And then two days later, wow. everything shuts down. So to start a new job at a place like ESPN during a pandemic, not, I would not recommend it to anyone, but I figure if you're a New Yorker going through this and you've dealt with this and come out the other side, you can handle anything. What was the most challenging part to you? Having to develop relationships on the fly. I think this business is all about relationships, genuine relationships. And when you are covering teams that you haven't covered before, you know, I cover the Jets, the Bills, Washington football team, um, but, you know, when you're going to the Packers, you know, and you haven't had to cover them indefinitely before, having to ingratiate yourself and get to know PR people, coaches, players, you know, that's, it's very difficult. And relationships are not something that you can easily formulate um, it, it very quickly, you know, it is hard. So that's been the most challenging thing. But, you know, as anything, you just got to figure out how to do it and you do it. Kimberly, I've been in my house all year long, really haven't left. <laughs> I'm curious what it's like to be in a stadium on game day, particularly for a game like the NFC Championship. Yep. I mean, there were there were fans there banging their chairs. We saw that. But yes. most games this year, no fans, no fans, right? So what was that like being in a stadium, whether there were no fans, few fans, lesser than normal fans? What was that like? It was strange. Because it, you know, sometimes for games that had no fans, you just hear 
it's eerie and sort of quiet, which is not at all what we're used to. I will say, I don't have any experience with what covering games for ESPN is like during non-pandemic times. So I've never been on the sidelines in an ESPN capacity, never had to do stand-ups, you know, in crowds before. So, so in that respect, I don't, I don't really know what I was missing. Um, you know, that sort of, that sort of closeness to the players. I, I didn't get to experience that this year and didn't before. So that's been, that's been kind of good that I don't know what I'm missing. This is all I know. Yeah. ESPN life in, in these times is all I know. So I brought up being in Green Bay and watching mm-hmm. the Buccaneers and the Packers, and we're now going to see Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. What was your assessment of the Tampa Bay team and how it will fare a week from Sunday in Super Bowl 55? It's so interesting because, you know, I talked to Todd Bowles, the defense coordinator for the Bucks, prior to Sunday's game against the Packers, and he had raved about Aaron Rodgers and said he's one of his favorite players but he's always been one of the toughest to game plan for. And what we saw on Sunday was them stymieing, you know, the Packers and stymieing Aaron Rodgers. And so it'll be interesting to see how in two weeks you can game plan for another mobile QB, but somebody who is, we haven't seen anybody like Patrick Mahomes yet. So the pressure is on Todd Bowles and his defensive staff, but it's been a great story. Tom Brady, a guy who gets to pick where he wants to go. It'll be interesting because he, Aaron Rodgers lost to Tom Brady, and now Aaron Rodgers' future is that beautiful mystery, as we've been talking about. He watched the quarterback dictate his exit, you know, decide where he wants to go after years in one place. And Aaron is approaching that same spot. Um, So, yeah, Chiefs-Bucks, I think this is sort of the the old school versus the new school. You know, we talked about the changing in the guards at the QB position. We've seen a lot of older QBs. Um, you know, nearing the end of their career. So if Tom Brady can somehow pull this off against this dynamic Chiefs team, that will be one for the history mm. books. Now, you mentioned Todd Bowles. And for those who mm-hmm. don't know, you cover the New York Jets uh, mm-hmm. for Newsday from 2012 through 2017, I believe, if my math mm-hmm. is accurate. And yes. Todd Bowles was the head coach there for a portion of that time. And there might be more pressure on Todd Bowles in the upcoming Super Bowl than just about anybody in that game. It is up to him to come up with a way to try to slow down an offense that's almost incapable of being slowed down. (laughs) Knowing what you know about Todd Bowles, how do you think he will handle that challenge? I think he, it's funny. I was listening to your podcast um, and I listened to your episode with Chuck Pagano recently and Chuck Pagano called, of course, no, of course. I love this podcast. Chuck Pagano said that Todd Bowles is one of the best defensive minds, if not the best defensive minds in the game. And I think that sort of speaks to what you can expect. Like this is, you know, I don't envy anybody in this position having to do what you, what you just said, having to stop Patrick Mahomes, which, you have done you know I was there when the Raiders beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead um Mm. and you know you almost need like Derek Carr had a had a very good game you almost have to be perfect in every aspect but I think you know even after that Bucks win over the Packers we talked a lot about Tom Brady as we should what he's done is remarkable but I think oftentimes when the defense plays well I don't think Todd Bowles gets the credit he deserves and what we've seen from this team, Devin White. When you talk about Devin White flying around, yes, that's innate ability. 
but the schemes and these players buying in and, and what you're able to see from this front, you know, Todd was like this defensive front of ours doesn't get the same credit it deserves. You know, we talk about the linebacking core being the strength, but that front Sue still practices and, and writes down notes and meetings like he's early in his career. Um, you know, so I, I think, yes, credit to Tom Brady. We will talk about Brady versus Patrick Mahomes and young Yoda versus old Yoda memes and pictures. But Todd Bowles, like you said, has a lot of pressure on him because not a lot of people have been able to beat Patrick Holmes, and this is the biggest stage. So if they falter on defense, that's on him. Well, you covered that Chiefs-Raiders game where the Raiders pulled the upset in Arrowhead. What stood out to you about what the Raiders did that day that would give the Buccaneers some hope in the Super Bowl? You know, they, they stayed on pace with the Chiefs offense. In the second half, defensively, they just seem... They just seemed re-energized, swarming, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, they were able to make Patrick a little unsteady timing routes with, with his other receivers. Um, it just seemed like the defense was able to kick it up a notch from the, an intensity standpoint. But you, what you saw on the flip side was Derek Carr throwing the ball downfield, like stepping up into the pocket and making plays. Like I think once your offense, you see your offense being able to keep pace with them. Right. I think that energizes a defense too. Like, okay, let's shut this down. Let's get, you know, let's get after him. Because when you fall behind to the Chiefs, it is very difficult to feel like you still have a shot. And I know players will tell you differently, but in that moment, because you got playing catch up against this team of all teams, mm -hmm. they they toy with people. You saw what the Bills were up nine nothing, and yeah. the Chiefs came back and were like, okay, that's cute. All right, now let's go. And when they start going, it's a wrap. Well, and again, that brings us back to Todd Bowles and why he mm -hmm. may be as important as anybody else in this matchup. What are your thoughts on the fact that Todd Bowles did not get a head coaching job in this hiring cycle? I would be lying if I said I was surprised because when you look at, you know, when you look at some of the coaches on their staff, you know, offensively what they're able to do, it becomes, well, Tom Brady is the instant, you know, instant mix and everything works. You know, Byron Leftwich isn't getting uh, any, a, a lot of credit for what we're seeing either. But I think, Todd, I think it's very difficult. A lot of black coaches and assistant coaches and personnel guys feel like if you don't succeed in your first stop, it is very difficult to get the benefit of the doubt to get a second opportunity. We've seen it with Martin Mayhew this hiring cycle. Um, but uh, but it's a sentiment that is expressed not by a lot. And so this is an immediate creation. These are, you know, we are having the conversations with these coaches who feel that just as in American society, you have you're taught you have to be twice as better for the same benefit of the doubt and same chances. The NFL hiring cycle is just it's a microcosm and it's of what we experience in our daily lives. So I think I was not surprised Todd Bowles didn't get another head coaching opportunity this off season. Now, if they win the Super Bowl, I am very curious to see what happens with Todd and Harold Goodwin and Byron Leftwich, um, because it can't just all be Tom Brady. It can't just all be Bruce Arians. You know, if you have a Super Bowl winning staff, clearly the assistant coaches have a lot to do with it. And Todd was an assistant head co assistant coach of the year in Arizona before he came to the Jets. Um, so I don't think, I don't think, I think Todd will have another opportunity, but you almost have to be perfect 
in a lot of respects to for people to take another chance. Yeah, well, and for those who don't know, the Buccaneers special teams coach is Keith Armstrong. He's black. Yes. Their offensive mm-hmm. coordinator is Byron Leftwich. He's black. Their defense coordinator is Todd Bowles. He's black. Their assistant head coach and run game coordinator is Harold Goodwin. He's black. Now, mm-hmm. it's hard enough for a black coach to get a first opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to have a second opportunity. Right. right. Like that. Right. Right. I mean, right. that, that's got to be really challenging. But even if the Bucs win this game and those coordinators from special teams to the run game, mm-hmm. even if they come out on top, I don't know. You'd like to think that there would be momentum that would carry forward, but the next hiring cycle, Kimberly, wouldn't be till next December, January. So it's a year later. So Mm -hmm. I, there are other ways that progress should be made that hasn't been made. I I just wonder even if they win, if Mm -hmm. that's going to make a difference in these guys getting a head coaching job, you think it can um it's very interesting I think what was more most demoralizing for a lot of people was after this was an offseason in which we saw the NFL implement new changes to the Rooney rule where teams are incentivized to not only and and required to not only interview more minority candidates but also incentivized should they lose minority candidates or or coaches on their staff or interview minority candidates and hire minority candidates that they would be compensated with draft picks. I was not in favor of that Hmm. um, because I felt like, you know, I said this for an undefeated round table, you know, no black person wants to get a job because they're black. You know, we want it's, it's, and Bruce Aarons talks about, I hire good coaches. I hire uh, women coaches who know what they're doing. It's not because they're women, but he is intentional with understanding the playing field is not level just as it's not in American society. So the fact that we haven't seen, we had, we saw a lot of, we saw several black GMs hired, but on the coaching front, yeah. we did not see black coaches get the same opportunity. So if you have tweaks to the Rooney rule and you still end up with no forward progress in the coaching realm, when it comes to black coaches, that doesn't make you feel good. If you're one of these coaches who feel like, what more do I have to do just for somebody to see potential and see that I, I can, you know, benefit an organization. So I don't know, to your question, I don't know the future yeah. um, for Todd Bowles and company, but you would hope that that we stop thinking that the NFL is just a plain meritocracy and just so that, yeah. well, the best coaches always get jobs. It's not that. We have to be very intentional with our actions and understand, look around the room. And if everybody looks like a middle-aged white guy, not, not like, then you have to at, at least acknowledge that, okay, we should probably be intentional intentional about our own diversity efforts. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned the word progress. And, and again, we're taping this on Tuesday, mm-hmm. midday, and the Houston Texans are waiting to hire a coach. And I think they're going to hire a black head coach. I think they are. But even if they do, let's operate under the assumption that Texans will hire a black head coach. That means that the NFL is treading water because mm-hmm. the Chargers fired Anthony Lynn right? and the Texans will have hired a black head coach and that's a zero net gain. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's not progress. That's it's treading water. At, and at a time like this, that's awful. That's right. Right. And we've already established the pipelines of, of quality coaches, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball or offensive side of the ball, they exist. The pipeline exists. There's talent there. 
all that needs to happen is for owners to look at, like to use the same criteria when evaluating white candidates versus black candidates. I, I, I was told Brandon Staley from week two, week three of the season, when I was raving about this Rams offense and the pieces they have, mm-hmm. somebody in that organization said, our defensive coordinator, he's going to be a head coach. Watch. And since then, I've been paying more attention to Brandon and talking to other people and people rave about this man. So I'm excited to see what the char- what what he has in store for, for his new team. But you can make a case, well, okay, looking at his resume, one year as a defensive coordinator, is that enough? I, I don't begrudge anybody for getting any opportunity, but will the same criteria and the same, well, you know what? He may not have the experience on paper, but we see something in him. Is that criteria used for black candidates? And oftentimes it is not. Well, if you want to hear more of Kimberly, you can hear her on First Take, Her Take, along with Charlie Arnold and Cheney Agumake. They co-host this new podcast. Excellent listening, highly recommended, and hopefully you all will give Kimberly a chance there. Kimberly, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. I will look forward to seeing you in person. I have no idea when. Amazing that you've been <laughs> working for ESPN for however long you are, and we still have yet to be together in person since ESPN has hired you. Yes, it'll be a good day when we can actually break bread in person, Adam. I appreciate you for having me on. There is NFL reporter Kimberly Martin, the co-host of the First Take, Her Take podcast on ESPN. All right, before we sign off this week, I want to pay some respects to a few people that lost their lives. If 2020 was brutal in terms of the people that we lost, 2021 has started off that way. And it was that way last week when at first we lost Hank Aaron, who was a dignified man. And my memories of Hank Aaron, so many, of course, but I actually used to do a column when I worked in Denver for the Denver Post called Know Him From Adam. And I would call up a guest each week. And one time I had on hammering Hank Aaron and the wisdom that he dispensed was unbelievable. And I called up Field Yates, who's technologically superior to me, to ask if he could pull up that Hank Aaron Q&A that I had done for the Denver Post. I wanted to read it after he lost his life. And Field, who usually finds all things technology, could not find it. I still have not found it. I need to look for that Q&A because... That man was filled with wisdom and perspective from all that he observed and all that he endured. As a black man growing up in the South, you can only imagine what his life was like at the time that he was a transcendent superstar and a man who had done so much good in his community. Hank Aaron gone, he will never be forgotten, as is the case for the former Broncos offensive lineman, Tony T-Bone Jones. Played for the Baltimore Ravens, played for the Cleveland Browns, and played for the Denver Broncos at a time when I covered them. And the Broncos offensive line had a thing with reporters that they made sure that nobody ever spoke to them. If you spoke to a reporter on the record, you were fined. There was a kangaroo court that would fine each offensive lineman who was quoted in the newspaper But I love talking to those guys. And they would talk all the time. They just never wanted to be quoted at all. And one of my favorite guys in that group was Tony Jones. And that was a great group. Mark Schlereth, Gary Zimmerman, Brian Habib, Tom Nalen, Dan Neal, Broderick Thompson, who lost his life in a motorcycle accident. I love that guy. And Tony Jones, 
What a gentle giant. What a great guy. I love that guy, T-Bone. He would dress flashy. We'd always talk about life. And to hear that he had died over the weekend at the age of 54, he and I are the same age. That blew me away. And those players and that organization back in the day helped raise me as a professional and as a man because I spent so much time around them. And I love that Tony Jones guy. And I just wanted his family to know that my thoughts and condolences are with them. I'm sorry to see Tony Jones. And of course, we lost Larry King over the weekend, a broadcasting legend. I have a dear friend, Jeff Rubin. We'll give him a little shout out on this podcast. I always think of him listening to Larry King because all growing up, all through college, he would listen to Larry King in his bed every night going to sleep. He was on the radio. Of course, he obviously went on to CNN fame. And he was somebody that was on your TV every night, nine o'clock. You put it on, you put on Larry King, you watch who he's interviewing. And it was always just very laid back, relaxing. And I always loved watching Larry King. Had the chance to meet him at the Super Bowl when the Seahawks and the Broncos played in New Jersey, which was about five, six years ago. And I went through my camera roll to see if I could find that picture. And it crushes me to think I couldn't. But Larry King, the third great man who left us this week. Condolences to the King family. All right. Enough talk about death. I want to thank my guest today for being with us, Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I want to thank Kimberly Martin for taking some time to join us. I want to thank my producer, Troy Farkas, who sat in today for Christina Buswell and put up with me and put together this podcast so that you could listen. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we begin to look ahead to Super Bowl 55, the matchup between the GOAT and the kid, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. The Bucks, the Chiefs should be great fun and we'll have informative interviews, insightful interviews with whoever joins us on next week's Adam Schefter podcast. Until then, everybody, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.